Welcome to the bonfire. Exploring magic with two modern witches. I'm Corey. And I'm Detta. And we have a very exciting thing for you today. Yes, we do. We are interviewing Evo Dominguez Jr. And Evo, my first intro with Evo was on that Witch Life podcast. I know you're all shocked, right? <laughs> that I'm like mentioning that Witch Life podcast, which if you haven't subscribed yet, you should go to them now and subscribe. And I was also lucky enough to attend a class of his that he held at SoMoth.com. Evo Dominguez Jr. is a prolific writer and author of Keys to Perception, Practical Astrology for Witches and Pagans, Casting Sacred Circle, Spirit Speak, Beneath the Skins, and his most recent, The Four Elements of the Wise. Eva's been an active Wiccan and Pagan in the community since 1978, and he's been teaching since 1982. And he started that when he was nine years old. And oh. if you have the opportunity to take class with him, oh my gosh, please do so. I will be asking him about classes towards the end of the show. He is an elder in the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel, which we will chat about towards the end of the show as well. But really importantly, maybe most importantly, I don't know, he's a fellow Sagittarius That's and right. just recently had a birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. That's right. Happy belated birthday. How was it? So my actual birthday was a work really hard, crazy day. And oh. then uh, this this yesterday is when we actually celebrated, which really meant that my next door neighbors that are also coven mates came over and we put up the Yule tree. Oh, oh fun. fun. Which is actually what we do every year for my birthday. We we do the uh, uh, tree. I love that. So I I am now officially sixty three. So wow! Woo-hoo. Congratulations. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of times around the sun. You did it. Yay! <laughs> Hopefully a few more left. I was just going to say, and <laughs> many many, many more to come. Yes. Oh, that is so great. Well, and I I also happened to hear a story about you yesterday. Actually, I was told something that I should say, there might be a story here. You might want to ask Evo about it. I understand you were at the Museum of Witchcraft and you got put to work when you got there because of Mortellus's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what I was, happened? Uh, in Ohio. So uh, I did a thing in Ohio, went to the museum, and I also went to Witch Lab. Oh. It was the first journey away from home since COVID. Mm. But, you know, I'm boosted up and I wore my mask and I figured I'll be all right. And I had a great time, but uh, there was this gigundous, heavy, iron, steel uh, candle uh, frame thing uh, for votive candles, kind of like you see in a Catholic church mm, yeah. that was made for a display for the piece that Mortellus had uh, donated to the museum. And it was way too heavy, so uh, I, I volunteered to help get it out of the car and to uh, carry it into the museum. Wow! Show up for fun and get put to work. No, I always do. No, that's no that that always happens. That always happens. <laughs> I mean, uh, 
I've been at pagan campout gatherings where I ended up on the you know kitchen crew scrambling eggs because they were yeah. short. So <laughs> yeah, I've peeled a lot of potatoes at certain festivals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> back in the day. Well, wow. Well, we are just so excited that you're here, and I I've been talking about your book on Instagram and also within our Patreon, and there are a couple of Patreon members that have just ordered your book. I've been reading your book since September, and I'm talking about the most recent one, the yeah, yeah. four the four elements, elements of the wise. I there is a suggestion in there that to take it in small pieces and take your time. We like to call them rabbit holes, but if you find something mm-hmm. that you want to research, that you go ahead and take the time to to research that. Right. And I'm on chapter eleven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm halfway through the book. It is December. There is so much powerful, gorgeous information there. One of the first quotes within the first, it's on page seven, actually, that grabbed me and I realized, oh, this is going to be a while. This is one of those books. To work with the elements, you must exceed your limits of your physical and psychic senses by understanding the process of perception. And I was just like, oh, buckle in. Here we go. This is going to be exciting. And Although I do think if you're a new witch, you can absolutely pick up this book. I would not call this a witchcraft 101 book. No. It's, it's, it's a deep dive, and it's high magic, and it's, it's incredibly powerful. But to start with, for our listeners, what would you say the difference is between the elements and elementals, or is there one? There is, but like everything in, uh, in, the, in the manifest world... There are blurry boundaries. They are overlaps. And, uh, you know, the universe is made out of Venn diagrams more than it is discrete objects, you know. So the distinction I make is this. An elemental is of the energy, of the essence, of the source that is an element, but to some degree has taken on individuated consciousness. It behaves as a living thing or as a thing that has identity or agency to a degree, though it varies from very small to very, very large. But the big difference is, honestly, uh, each of the cells in my body uh, has its own existence. When When they all come together, they become me, even though they each have their own path, their own journey, their own life and death story, honestly. So... The elementals are beings whose substance, subtle substance, is of the elements, but they've become distinct and themselves. Now, the duration can vary from instance to millennia, but they are a consciousness that is self-aware to a degree. Hmm. Wow. And that, everyone, is what it's like reading. <laughs> I just I just feel like <laughs> I just feel like I'm I'm in grad school when when you talk and and in a good way. And I love grad school. I love school. So that's a good thing for me. Yeah, that was probably that was probably because uh, one of the positive parts of my upbringing, there's plenty that was not. But my uh, my dad was a professor and my household was all, always filled with, uh, my mom was college educated as well, and the household was always filled with professors that were my father's friends. So I grew mm-hmm. up in a ridiculously enriched environment as a result, and that makes a difference. It does. I loved, loved, loved the, the foreword 
uh, by Courtney, uh, <laughs> Miss Courtney Weber. Oh, I love her. Uh, We're fans. I love her. <laughs> she talks a lot about, like, I think she really cap like captures who this book is for. Mm-hmm. And she said that it was the book she desperately needed when she was new and the book that she desperately needs now, which I think is, is that speaks to the quality and the depth of the content. Uh, But she also talks a lot about slowing down and like taking your time. And so I was just wondering for, from you, what, what do you think are the benefits of, of really taking your time and being thorough and granular in your magic practice? I'm going to come at it from a really weird tangent that's very I can't wait. very out there <laughs> and then I'll say something that's you know more mundane practical about it. So okay. uh, you know it, it, the way I conceive it I have a physical body and then I have many layers of energy that surround me that are part of my body but they're made out of energy and subtle bodies and so on and each of those layers of self exist in in different realms in different planes if people like to use that word. And you know what? The last time I checked, whenever we experience other places or ritual, we discover that time behaves in funny ways outside of linear physical space. There is a there is a time lag there. It's almost as if they are all all the different parts of you are in different time zones. And in order to actually fully process something, you have to let it percolate through all those layers of your spirit and inwards to all the layers of self that are you, not of all of which are verbal, that doesn't happen overnight. So just taking it slow means that eventually, you know, people talk about integrating and becoming wholly and completely themselves and fully embodied and centered and blah, blah, blah. And for that to occur, you have to, you know, wait for, you know, the, the last snail mail from the outer reaches of yourself to, to mm-hmm. get back. Uh, you know, so... So that part of the process is is simply that you exist as a multidimensional being uh, inwards and outwards, and it takes time for all of that to happen. And there's the other bit, which is that uh, human memory works best when you give it a prompt and let it stew for a while and uh, stuff will then bubble up into your consciousness or a, a problem that you or an insight that you're not quite grasping takes time because the deeper parts of you are percolating and stewing and fermenting and doing their thing. And eventually up pops the answer into your waking consciousness. And that takes time too. And if you're going too fast, you don't actually hear it because by the time it's delivered, you're so busy with the next thing that uh, your insight uh, goes into the uh, circular file or the uh, rubbish bin. That is amazing. Your yeah. imagery is just so evocative. <laughs> and yeah, it, 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 and it like takes you, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I must have known that for a thousand years, yes. what he's saying, yes. but I didn't. That's the goal. But my, I did, my brain, but yeah. My brain got gummed up when you said you were a multidimensional being. I was like, ah, give me a second. Ah, hold on. I need time with <laughs> And yet at the same time, and I wonder if listeners have different images. I just mm-hmm. got a total image of all those all those place, places and spaces or not tangible spaces, you know, it just became clear. Whenever, whenever, I, whenever I write or whenever I speak or teach, uh, I've got the internal holodeck doing the full video thing. So, <laughs> yes. so no, I, I visualize and experience it in my head as I'm speaking it because that also error checks because if you can't actually fully realize it in your head, then you're probably saying something that's slightly off. Right. I, I also love that in, in your book that you talked about the spellings of the Kabbalah 
And one of them was Q, based, of course, on the Star Trek being Q. Yes, that is where that spelling comes. So I was like, yes, yes. Oh, that's great. So you talk about how the elements in the book, how they eventually evolve. And I think Mm -hmm. this is going to play into what you just said, too, about all these different layers and spaces. And that's... I have to say, Evo, that's that's what happened to me over and over again when I was reading your book. From the simplest sentence structure to the one that I was like, what? Do I need to look up that word? He's using that in a way I've never seen before. But even the simplest ones, there were just all of these layers. So I think this all, this kind of goes into that. You talk about how the elements evolve and they may not Mm -hmm. become they may not always be elements anymore however they're not lesser beings which i also really love and i think that's a mistake Mm -hmm. that a lot of Mm -hmm. people make (sighs) yeah and you you also talk about not giving them human attributes that that might be a mistake which is really hard for me because i'm an animist but that's really great advice so what do you think they evolve into do you have any ideas on that Sure, sure. And it's all speculative, though. I'm going to throw in that I also like to uh, throw in the idea of vivimorphism instead of anthropomorphism, viewing things as living things rather than as humans. I'm taking notes in our podcast, you all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so I don't think we'll ever run out of the elements as a raw source of of, uh, material, insight, essence, spirit, energy, etc., However, if something becomes individuated, if it becomes an Mm -hmm. elemental, if it has any amount of self-awareness, that means that it has the potential to become more self-aware and to learn more about its environment and thereby grow. Uh, As far as I can tell, if if we link everything that is physical that we know to everything that is spiritual that we experience and perhaps, you know, can assert as being our personal truth, then everything evolves. Everything evolves. Spirit, you know, spiritual evolution is a thing. So if something stays self-aware long enough, how can it not change and evolve and become more? Now, at first, that just may be becoming a bigger, more complex version of itself, where it's you know a, a, a more expansive version of a water elemental or a fire mm-hmm. or air or whatever. Mm-hmm. But eventually... And, and this is why I think that uh, the ones that are individuated do show up when we ask for them to show up is because by interactions with us, they begin to get clues about all the elements that they know exist, but can't quite grasp or qu- can't quite feel. And over time, there has to be enough of a kernel of that for them to begin to connect with the other elements and or to merge with some of the other elementals. I'm going to say that... Um, Let's imagine that we've got really, really complicated uh, edge, two edges that meet together, maybe like uh, the wiggly kind of space that you see between uh, ridges on a seashell sometimes or uh, anywhere else where two surfaces meet or the sutures on the bones of the skull, because that's one of those places where you can really see them, right? Well, if we separate those pieces and let's say one side is fire and one side is water, the fire side has no fire, has no water in it, but its boundary has the imprint of what water is when it presses up against it because everything in the universe is in contact with everything else. So it has a clue about what that is, even if it doesn't have it. But when it's interacting with a being that has all four of the elements plus ether spirit, but it's a complicated topic, it gets clues about stuff in the same way that when we work with 
uh, spirits, nature spirits, divine beings, whatever it is we work with, we get clues and, and, and insights and glimpses into other realities that are outside the ones we know, and we be in, incorporate them. So, so some of these beings may eventually evolve. What do they evolve into? Some may choose to jump, jump down into matter, and once they are a fully-fledged four-element being, and incarnate and hey maybe we'll get a new species maybe some of these beings decide to stay on the other side forever and 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 honestly i'm going to throw this one in yeah a nature spirit has to have all four elements in it right right if it exists in the physical world i mean it may be predominantly one in the same way that you know i, I you know uh, i'm a sag with a sag rising and a bunch of sag planets so i've got a lot of fire in my chart but that's not all i am but I have a lot of fire in the same. So they could, I think that they can evolve into a wide range of things. I think some may decide to say, I have all four elements now. Uh, I'm a being of, of spirit and ether and, or I'm a being of life force. Oh, wow. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, all I know is that evolution is the way of the world that we can observe. And because I believe that the whole universe is of one piece and yeah. as above, so below connects, then surely there is the equivalent of evolution for those beings. I think that most of the lore that sticks them as permanently stuck as one thing or another comes from a uh, generally monotheistic perspective that says, hey, the universe is done because it was decreed by the creator that this is it. And therefore lies all of our problems and no, and but, that's but, one but of the things it's that hard to reconcile it with. is really hard and it it plays into also um hidden brain was talking yesterday about integrative thought and how we have a really hard time as human beings holding two opposite truths at the same time and that sometimes yes. we can see one and then see the other but putting them together is really challenging for us but i think that's where evolution for us i hope and anyway uh, that whole statement that you just said gives me hope for the human race as well because of course if we're allowing this in if we're allowing the elements in and we're experiencing them how can they not shape us same with all of our right. magic and witchcraft right. Corey, you look like you want to say something well i yeah. just was thinking about evolution of these sort of elemental or if some might say divine like beings and my mm -hmm. storytelling is is so incredibly important to me and it got me thinking about the way that the stories about the deities that people have interacted with in the past are evolving now and yeah. changing yes. and growing to better reflect whatever aspect of humanity they're they're about like the one that comes to mind immediately is like mm -hmm. perseus and medusa or or Persephone and Hades, like right. the classic Greek ones. Uh, but like the stories and the way that we interact with the deity in, in the way we tell their stories is evolving. And I think it's giving those stories a greater impact, but also a greater way for us to find a way in to mm -hmm. deity or divine. And I just got to thinking about that when you were talking about the way that things have to evolve and grow. And if it has a consciousness, like, I can't imagine having a consciousness and being in the prison of not being allowed to grow. I, 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 I that would be true evil. It'd be awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be the worst. So I was thinking about storytelling evolving along mm -hmm. with our understanding, which is fascinating to me. Speaking of elementals, do you remember one of your first experiences with elementals? 
I'm going to say that my first experience with an elemental, I was wrong. Oh, I thought it was an elemental. I thought it was an elemental. But uh, over the years, I decided it wasn't. There was a creek in the woods uh, near where uh, I, we lived when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd wander off in the woods and it was, it was delightful. And uh, there are a number of times that I sat down at that creek. And after a while, I started forming like a relationship with, what, with whatever that creek was. And I, in my head, I was, by the way, one of the, one of the other plus sides is, as a child, I had a library card uh, because my dad was a professor. So I could go into the university library and, you know, read and <laughs> oh my gosh and get them to and get them to uh yeah enter library loan things that they didn't have for me so it was good that is amazing but i decided i was that the thing in the river was a water elemental because you know i from what i could gather from what i had read at that point it's got to be a water elemental now a number of years later i decided that uh it was a nature spirit but not necessarily a water elemental and I'm going to say that the river had a bazillion water elementals in it. But the thing that I was experiencing some level of communication with wasn't because it was also the fish in the stream. It was also the trees along the bank. And there, there were too many other qualities associated with it. But that was a turning. But that, you know, when I finally had the, oh, God, I got that wrong. It's, 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 it's a nature spirit, not a water elemental. Then I started looking like, OK, now I need to actually try to communicate with something that is just water. Mm. What? So it was a wake up call that, you know, uh, that it was. It, but it's an easy thing because it was beautiful, you know, s- you know, stream of water flowing by and lots of, you know, tadpoles and fish. And it was lovely. So. I, and I wanted it to be that. Afterwards, uh, I did the most boring thing when I finally got the idea, and that was when I started doing the, I have the ye old bowl of water in front of me on the table thing, trying to uh, connect with that to some degree. And eventually that worked, and, and a technique I used still works for a lot of things. You know how people will talk to their animal companions and uh, also speak for them? Well, the thing is, at first, you're just making stuff up. Uh, I have four dogs. I, uh, yeah. I talk them. I talk for them. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, uh, after a while, uh, I get really good at, it's no longer me making up everything. I'm picking up what I think they need, and they seem to respond as if, oh, he finally understood me. So I think the practice of pretending to have conversation eventually loosens up the connections inside so that the little spirit that was in that bowl eventually did get my attention. Wow. So... It, and then it becomes easier in the same way that if you have been around at particular animals for a long time, if I run into a dog, a cat or a horse anywhere, they know that I know them. There's, you know, there, there is a, a response that, uh, oh, that person is looking at me. Hi, how are you doing, human? It, as opposed to they, they, they can sense that I have previous contact with their species and know how to be around them. Once you begin to make contact with an elemental of any kind, it begins to open up the doorway so that you are noticed by the other elementals because you've learned how to pitch your hearing or pitch your thought to the place where they live. Mm. What drew you, like, initially to try to understand the elemental, say, for example, in, in that creek? Uh, I'd had a bad, scary experience. There was uh, a place that uh, I would walk to school by that was, you know, 
all wooded and lovely. And, you know, this was a long time ago, remember? I, I, mean, I mean, this was, you know, back in the land of, of the late 60s, early 70s. So, you know, dawn of time stuff. <laughs> and whatever. Whatever. <laughs> and so I was walking to school. It passed this 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 uh, chunk of woods regularly, and I loved that place. And at some point, somebody sold it, and whammo, bammo, they bulldozed down all the trees and oh. ripped up everything, and and it was awful. And I was walking walking past uh, that spot, and of course, I was having my own emotional response. Sure. But then I saw, I literally saw and heard some huge thing, like the soil was rising up, like like a body reaching up out of the soil and 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 and, and raising its hands to the air and screaming, and then oh. and then falling back down into the soil. And that got my attention. I should say. <laughs> in a really, really, I walked a long, long way to get to school for a while until I could walk past that place again. But it also was the first time that I had uh, an experience that was undeniable to me that uh, the things that were there were alive and real and very separate, even though I'd had plenty of psychic experiences as a child and had seen uh, and heard uh, what what constitutes, I guess, ghosts, for lack of a better mm-hmm. uh, label on them, and so on. So, but, but this was very clearly nothing human, but very much in pain. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think I had a bunch of different experiences, but that one was the one that set me on the quest of I need to know more about these things. So calling on them to assist in in your magic, was that something intuitive as well? Is that something that you learned from someone else and you already had had this connection with them? Uh, I had already had uh, a, a connect. So here's the thing. I'm going to come at it from, from what I know now okay. and go backwards. Yeah. I was always really good at, you know, uh, messing with the weather. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, you know, like I'd be walking around and, you know, I'd be moving my hand and trying to get the wind to shift one way or another. And it usually did. Um, you know, I was like, oh, I need it really. I really, really need it to rain today. I don't want to be out doing the, the field day at school. <laughs> there are any number of things. But, uh, but I always had an ease with air. And I discovered uh, later on when I started studying astrology, which was the other way that it reinforced the idea of I need to know more about the mm-hmm. elements, is I have zero air in my chart. I was hoping you were going to talk about this. So what does that mean? Yeah. 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 I've got a goose egg. Zero air. <laughs> so, one, so it can play a number of ways. One of the ways that uh, often people will uh, look at it and go, oh, when somebody doesn't have any of an element on the chart, then it's like, well, the person is likely not to be particularly adept or good at the things that are associated with that element, or they have to work way, way extra hard to accomplish the same. I've seen that play that way in charts as well. The other way it plays is like, I have zero error in my chart. I live on the physical plane. The universe hates a vacuum. So... Whammo, bammo, I have excess air. I'm, I'm constantly talking. I pick up languages easily. I'm like, you know, poster child for air stuff, mm-hmm. even though I don't have any in my chart. Because because I don't have any, there's this big hole uh, in my energy that says, come on over. I need you. <laughs> I love that. So Well, and that's just it, what you were talking about, you know, on page seven about your perception needing. To, mm-hmm. if, if you go in with too much expectation you're going to not see what you're being offered. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I just and I think that's a great example of that. I also love the fact that you talked about the fact that you thought it was an elemental, but you were wrong. Just proving the fact that uh, trial and error is a good thing and that you can be wrong and still be a witch. You don't have to be perfect all the time. You can, you know, work magic, make mistakes and then come back and, you know, do it better the next time. We can evolve. As a, what? <laughs> what? I know. Sure, I sure hope so. Um, yeah. I I do too. <laughs> uh, it's like that. Uh, it's like that meme. That's like if you knew me when I was twenty. No, you didn't. <laughs> I am grateful that that Twitter and Instagram did not exist. Oh. TikTok did not exist when I was in my twenties. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm fifty three, which is why I'm saying you are just not that old. My wife just turned sixty four, okay. and okay. Um, Corey's the the baby here and I mean oh, that in the stop. most loving <laughs> way uh, I'm about to turn 34 Woo-hoo. a very good decade it's a great decade <laughs> things are it moving is. and changing and yeah. growing yeah. it's all great well but, some of it sucks but most of it's great <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine if social media had been around when I I would I don't I wonder if I would be alive it's just wild I feel for those kids out there right now. I don't know if anybody would ever have talked to me again if I'd just gone on and spewed everything I was feeling on social media when I was a kid. Oof. Yeah. Over over the years, uh, one of the one of the blessings if you do it right is you develop better emotional regulation. <laughs> exactly. Well, sometimes, most days, yes. <laughs> most days, most days. Yeah, but but you know, but thank thankfully I survived all the all yeah. The things. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and 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 the other bit is that. Uh, Sometimes you ne- absolutely never know, but the question is: Was it productive? Was it generative? Did it help? Yeah. Uh, we don't have to have every last answer. Mm-hmm. Well, and that story you told—that's just heartbreaking, and and also amazing that you could witness it. And I wonder too if that helped inform the grief that that being was experiencing, and maybe lessen some of that burden. I. I can't, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, I think one of the ways that that impacted is uh, thereafter, uh, any time that somebody was uh, uh, moving or land was about to be uh, re- reshaped completely or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, I don't know how many times I've either taken a stone or a chunk of soil and said, uh, if anybody needs to leave here before they come, um, I'm picking this up and you can hitchhike and I'm going to put you down somewhere oh. where it's still green. Oh, I love that. So, uh, and I, I have no I, no clue if how fully it works, but uh, anytime that uh, it looks like something's going to be very dramatically bad for a place or it's mm-hmm. going to be transformed, offer the opportunity for, for beings to be warned and relocate if they can. Yeah. Oh, that's, I love that. I'm going to start incorporating that. It's so interesting because every time I prune our trees I talk about that and then of course go out and put the neem oil on and and all that kind of stuff to try to heal when we you know do what we humans think are best for the tree to thrive and it's always an interesting process when I was reading the book I alluded to this earlier that I felt like I was getting coded message. I felt like I was getting downloads from the universe. And I, I don't know if that's what you intended, but that's what I'm, I assume that might be what you intended a little bit. That, but there, I mean, yeah. my perception literally in the moment of reading, I don't even remember what it was now. I, I was like, oh, when I cast a circle next 
it's going to look like this instead of what it's been looking like. It literally, my perception of what is there. And so then I was like, I have to go cast a circle. I have to go do something. That was one of my side tangents reading the book and went. And sure enough, it it's completely, it's it is. And I've always thought, well, I shouldn't say I've always. For a long time in my practice, I've thought of them as portals and not just guardians, although I have started with them as just guardians and have come to embrace them as portals but still somehow able to hold that liminal space Mm -hmm. and after reading and i'm not even done y'all i'm not even finished and i tried to skim the rest of it so that i at least knew Ah. what was there so i could like i want to talk to you about and i was like there's just no you just have to take your time with this book you just you have to but i'm really excited about the witch's pyramid chapter (laughs) Uh, there's a lot yeah and the healing chapter was did you what was the experience of writing this book how what i don't i i I, I, frustrating (laughs) (laughs) oh isn't all writing well yeah here's the thing though yeah yeah because uh all right so and this will clue into the thing about maybe why you're picking up some stuff while you're reading it okay so uh, I made a promise way, way early in my magical career that I was going to make sure that uh, I left a whole organic package of what I had learned along my way so that somebody could pick it up and use what parts and run with it if they wanted to. That okay. means, though, that so in my head, all my books are actually big chap- mega chapters in the big book that I'm writing that is all the stuff that I've learned so far. But that means I have to keep track of when I'm writing what was in spirit speak what was in castings what was in so, so that there are enough linkages between them so that as people read them they hook together but not repeat stuff that i've that i've done elsewhere so it's like ah he's just copying and pasting oh so, wow so i have to be i have to be mindful of what i've already done and what i'm working on next and how that fits in it's kind of like the continuity bit oh. uh, and in my head uh, and a lot of people have commented that when they're reading my stuff, that sometimes they'll pick up stuff if they're actually, you know, deep reading it. And that's because all the stuff that's in there is an outcome of actual experiences I've had, rituals I've actually done, exercises yeah. or things that I've done or taught for many, many years. So from my perspective, they exist in my inner landscape. And there's also a, a, a thought form or an astral landscape that is the stuff that's in my books. So Oh, that explains so much. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm I'm actually going to say that there's a technique that we use to cheat when we do public ritual. Okay. You know, when you do public ritual, you don't necessarily have absolute control over the or have the best space uh, to do it in. Lots of lots of stuff. Right. And there's only so much stuff you can schlep out of your homes to create the altars and the all the things. So for a big public ritual, we usually have one or two people who don't doesn't look like they're doing anything, but, you know, standing in a circle or chanting or holding hands or whatever. But what they've been told ahead of time is that throughout the whole ritual, I need you to visualize and impose on, on the local astral uh, the image of, of what's actually happening in the ritual and what the things look like that we're describing to, to make it easier for everybody that's at the public ritual to actually clue in. Wow. Kind of like in curling, how somebody skates ahead and smooths the ice out. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great metaphor. It, 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 it's, it's just enough, just enough to, to alter the path. Cool. I love that. Okay, so now I have to ask, 
any reason I might have been picking up on the four people, horse people of the apocalypse throughout this book? Any, any, <laughs> like, because from the get go, yeah. I was like, what is going so, on? And, 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 and I totally did not put them in the book for a reason, because some people said, you know, well, you talked about a lot of other things that are sets of four. <laughs> I wonder if that was the, uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, there, that's another bit. Uh, okay. So, so, and this is, I did put it in the book because this is, falls into the uh, late night uh, by, by, the, uh, by the fire in the backyard uh, talking kind of stuff. Okay. I think that the, the image of the four is what happens when uh, the elements within us go crazy. Oh. I mean, they, I mean, they <sighs> basic, because, because we're made out of the elements. We're made out of the elements. Actually, we're made out of elementals as well, from my perspective. And I actually believe that uh, the thing that hold, that glues mind to brain, the thing that glues the, the who we are to this physical form is actually, you know, a bridge of elementals that basically anchor, that's what anchors our soul spirit into this form. So that we're made out of the elementals. And the reason we have elemental powers when we do magic is because that's who we are. I mean, yeah. in the same way that we have uh, more cells that are not human than human in our bodies. There's more flora and fauna in our yeah. gut, on our skin, on our hair. If you did a census, uh, the human cells would be outnumbered. Mm -hmm. We are an entire landscape, just like the earth, which means that we have landscapes within us, elementals within us, elements within us, the whole, the whole shebang. And when our elemental powers run rampant and out of control and without rhythm and without purpose, then we create all the disasters and the four horsemen kind of symbolize that for you, I think. Wow. Hmm. Thank you. Yes. And that is, yes. Huh. Really involved in magical activism, really involved in trying to find a way right now for myself personally uh, mm -hmm. to balance joy with work that I feel called to do on mm -hmm. this plane. Sure. And not succumbing to... Uh, Hatred <laughs> or despair In, or despair or despair, which is which, wow. which despair is famine of the heart. Yeah. Famine of the heart. Mm -hmm. Despair is famine of the heart. See, I just want to yeah. chew on your words for <laughs> so many moments that <laughs> you would be here for a year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense that those are trying to find a, a balance within myself right now, especially mm -hmm. since part of it, <laughs> you know, the Supreme Court stuff was going on. And I, I think a lot of us collective consciousness, yeah. co uh, our collective consciousness right now is yeah. is in that distress. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that makes total distress, sense to despair, me. Anger. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think I think that uh, and, and, and there are lots of ways to, to work with the elements from a human perspective. And it's a good thing. It's just I made a point in the book of not dwelling there because yeah. there's so much material that focuses on that. Well, and you focus, too, on healing, which is what I, yes. I and and you mention and then I saw the healing chapter, which I hadn't gotten to yet. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned that you were in a healing once and, yet, and I was like, wait, what? Huh? And using a certain tool. Would you mind talking, uh, sharing a little bit of that side of working with the elements or elementals? And do you still do hands on healing? Because the one in the book, I think I think you do a self healing that's a solo. Mm -hmm. But there's another one that you have to have at least five people for. 
Yeah, I think I think the one. Uh, by the way, I don't always remember what's in. My yeah, books. I don't. But yeah, Horror what you didn't remember? Are you kidding? I can barely remember what I wrote for the uh, newsletter. I always have to a, go I've back and a, check. I, I have a pretty good memory, but half the time it's like, which of them did I? Which <laughs> of the books did I tuck that one into? Yeah, yeah. Right? There's one that's. Uh, I, I think yeah. I did. I, I think the the ritual in the book is the sub elements one. Yes, um, because I uh, we've we've done that oh. one in several locations. And I just want to, this is where I want to plug this. Like not like I haven't been, but everybody go buy the book. Go buy the book. Go buy <laughs> the book. Go buy the book. There, it's like that chapter is like seven. That's the one I tried to skim to at, at first. It's like seven pages long. The sub elements, and I was like, no, yeah. I have to live here for a month. I cannot pass these seven ch- seven pages. So anyway, yes, it's in there. Yeah, sorry, Evo, I didn't mean to interrupt uh, you. Go uh, ahead. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, uh, Robin Fenley. Robin Fenley. She's she's uh, one of the elders in my tradition. Mm-hmm. She does like a whole year of exploring the sub elements. <laughs> oh yeah. In a in a structured fashion. Because... I want to be in that class. <laughs> Because, you know, it, some things, it you know, you, you just want to let it settle in. I, I guess the thing about all elemental healing is that uh, if you look at healing in a variety of traditions, many of them, if they have a spiritual or an energetic component, uh, look to what's out of balance. Mm. What is in excess? What is, what is lacking? What is not flowing? What's not in motion? And so on. And the, the elements gives you a, a very good tool set for diagnosing and also responding to to uh, to what is needed to uh, restore balance mm-hmm. uh, knowing that each person's balance is different and but each person that uh, exists has the elements the four elements plus spirit in them so that actually I mean I mean I've used in a pinch I've used the elemental tools you know things like wands and chalices and whatnot as a diagnostic tool that makes total sense so yeah. you know I, I'm, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good at seeing energy and whatnot but let's say for example that that's not your forte but you got the sense that it's a water imbalance in someone and maybe you just picked that up or saw it or you got a pendulum or you did whatever you do Go grab a chalice, preferably one that you've, you know, uh, consecrated and charged and hold the chalice and ask it. Fill it with a little bit of water and and look into the water and see if you see, you know, a little glimmer or a little change. Or you can do fire scrying with a candle or hold uh, any number of things. But the point is, you can always augment your, your how you tune yourself to the elements by that. But also find the element within yourself and see what it's doing in the person. And also because the elements are all connect every bit of fire everywhere in the universe every bit of air every bit of water so on and so on everywhere is connected and uh you said you're an animist so that kind of makes sense at a different level but how about this sometimes we can do a less adequate job in healing because our, we're not delicate enough to know exactly what that person's balance is so all right they've got, they're missing this or they've not enough that or too much water too much air blah 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 i'm going to do the best i can and there you are, elbows deep into somebody's energy field, doing the best you can. Hopefully you got it right. <laughs> or let's say that you that somebody is, uh, let's say that their, their fire is going out. They're chilled at, at the core. Their passion is weak. Their life force is weak. Mm-hmm. Man, become, awaken the fire within you. Awaken the fire elementals within you. Become a blaze within and sit close to that person's energy, but don't push any of your fire into them. Because like calls to like, and the fire in you will remind the fire in them to wake up and grow. 
the uh-huh. same way that if somebody is singing next to you, they a, a song that you halfway know, if they're singing it, you can sing it because you can hear it as they sing. Or if you have two tuning forks and you hit one, the other that's the same note will begin to vibrate because of resonance. So sometimes the simplest way to do energetic healing is to find your own elemental balance or a specific element if you know what that what's going on, and then just be really bright and loud near that person's energy and maybe they'll pick it up. I love and then that. you're actually encouraging them to, to do the healing rather than you trying to impose something. Which will probably be longer lasting anyway because they're the ones doing it. It may be slower, but it will be longer lasting because it's about uh, reminding their system to return to its norm as opposed to temporarily propping it up. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, thank you. Really useful post-ritual when people, some people have fallen out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It happens. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It totally does. I'm just thinking about, and my brain is making connections between like what we're talking about and like Ayurvedic medicine and talking about like... I'm a pitta pitta. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> that tracks. Uh, kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And not at all surprising that you would, um, you know, be knowledgeable about that, considering you have a chapter about, what is it, the Tratva? I think that uh, I am I, I am a witch, but I'm also uh, an occultist, which means I have to know enough about every other system so that I have a framework to uh, yeah. judge things against. And to see, I'll just say, and to see mm. all the ways that all these different belief systems can be connected or have similarities right. besides their differences, too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important, too. You, I wanna, I'm going to switch our gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I we want to respect your time. Yes, <laughs> also that. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about uh, the Sacred Wheel, the assembly of the Sacred Wheel. If you would be willing to talk about, like, what your role is in it, coven work in general. Um, that's a conversation we have on this podcast a lot for our listeners. It's yeah. like, coven work, is it for you? Is it not for you? How do you how do you reach out and find your, your circle? And I would love to hear your take on that. I will turn this into an elemental thing, too. Oh, Sick. I love that. I love that. So uh, I'm one of the elders in the assembly. Uh, currently, there's three of us, uh, Robin Fennelly, Michael Smith, and myself. And the elders in the assembly are members of all of the covens in a sense. And the primary job of the elders is to be glue, Hmm. hold things together, facilitate communication and uh, group activities between the covens, because our covens are actually uh, assembly of the sacred wheel as as, is think of the zodiac, the the 12 signs. Hmm. And then uh, so that the first four covens started as a circle of Pisces, because we were at the end of the age of Pisces, Hmm. sort of still are. And each of those four covens each has a coven tool that is one of the elemental tools that acts as the anchoring point for the group mind of that coven. Those four covens regularly work with each other, swap students for whenever, you know, hey, so-and-so needs to know something about runes. Kitty knows about runes. She, so they go there, train over there. So nobody's trained in just their coven. They're trained in that little village of four covens wherever the resources that they're needed. And the four covens periodically get together and do group rituals, et cetera. So, each, so that you basically have each of the four tools, but each coven has one of them as their, as their anchor point. So Keepers of the Holly Chalice was the first coven in the assembly. Coven of the Rowan Stars, the pentacle one in that first circle. Anyway, we're, we're 14 covens now, might be 15 in the not too distant future. 
And it continues the pattern of sets of four. Each coven has a group mind because if you get human beings together, what happens? Right? right. Except the anchoring point is that tool. The anchoring point is that tool, but each of those tools are a set of four, which means that there's a linkage between the group minds of each of those four covens, which makes it easier for them to work with each other. So that there are elemental reasons and zodiacal reasons why things glue together and why it holds together. The whole structure is very different than most other witch or ceremonial lodge or whatever, because it's intentionally designed to force people to work mm. together. Wow. Uh, and also to prevent the problem when, uh, when because, hey, we come out of this culture, let's be real. It covens with, a, it creates extended family for everybody in a coven so that uh, you don't have the nuclear family disasters that sometimes play out uh, within covens as an analog of, of uh, their families of origin. That means that there's a variety of other clergy that they may call upon. And if there's a real problem, the elders are the ombuds people that basically have to go in and, you know, mediate. So it is a Wiccan uh, organization uh, was founded, but we claim no special, you know, from the dawn of time, wacky lineage. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, and that was actually really controversial I bet. Know, when we started. <laughs> I bet. You know, people like, what? You, what? My, my husband and I had a bookstore back in the day, in the 80s, and we were having study groups in the store and blah, blah, blah. And after after two years of that, we said, we invited the people that were sane and, and serious, mm. you know. Important. <laughs> to, to come to our house and say, do you want to form a coven? And that's what eventually spawned into the assembly. But wow. we had like, you know, to, to, we had a couple of Gardnerian firsts, a couple of Alexandrian seconds, somebody who's involved with OTO, somebody who's in... Uh, Sunbear, Sunbearers Medicine Society. Uh, Paula, who was one of our first high priestesses, was part of the Sabian Assembly. So we had a, wow. a, an assortment of people from back, different backgrounds. But we had a focus on community. We loved working the eight holidays. We loved working with all the things that uh, uh, are generally perceived of as, as Wiccan. And we had initiates from other systems and no we didn't ask them to give up any deep dark secrets even though you can find most of it on the internet with some small exceptions which also meant that from the from the very beginning we are not an oath-bound tradition none of our tech is secret not to be shared with other human beings uh, our members get their privacy because all human beings deserve their privacy but none of the material is oath-bound the only things that are restricted are stuff that's going to blow up in your face if you if you don't have somebody willing to teach it you know, and walk you through it for the next six, eight months or however long it takes to learn it, because it that's like giving, you know, people explosives. It's like a bad idea. But none of our stuff is secret and intentionally so. So nobody ever has to feel bad about if somebody says, I want you to teach me this technique. OK, how many weekends do you have? Wow. Corey's very happy right now. <laughs> I didn't know there were covens like that. Well, we, but wait, there's more. Uh, so, like, I'll give you an example. Our second degree ritual was designed, they're each written for the individual, but there's a template of things that it must include the following things as, as ritual elements or it's not one of ours. However, the second degree was made complicated enough that no coven can put it on. <laughs> so, they, so they have to invite members from the other covens to take roles in the ritual. So that uh, so that one of the other things that we did was that the people in the, at the initiations are the the person being initiated gets to invite other people to the ritual, not just their coveters. Wow. And they don't even have to be witches. We've had people invite their significant others because they wanted them to share in the experience. 
Though I will say that that usually means we have to assign somebody to be the hand holder. <laughs> yeah. And and and, and <laughs> yeah. for for the for 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 the uh, significant other who is like they're making them cry. It's like yes, it's good. It's, it's all right. good. It's catharsis. Don't worry <laughs> about it. It's all right. It's cathartic and beautiful. It's that's so, great, and, Evo. And, and, and nobody gets and, and uh, third degrees are. Uh, approved of by a majority vote of all the third degrees in the tradition after an interview with as many as can attend by the person. The third degree is not given out by their coven's clergy. Wow. What a great to prevent, system. A, it cuts down on, on the favoritism thing. And B, if you get a majority vote, it means that uh, most of the others thought that you were ready and willing. Nice. Corey? Yeah? I'm so happy for you right now. Well, I uh, Corey is not into the big secret. I don't thing. I'm not. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I just I have a lot of feelings about it that are probably quite naive. But I didn't know that there were covens that like were like that. I don't know. I feel like I. I feel like, and this is entirely me. I am not speaking for anybody else. And I am speaking I, I in you. generalizations. Oh, this isn't for you. This is for the listeners. <laughs> you're, you're, speaking, you're, speaking in, you're speaking in bell-shaped curves. I don't want anybody coming for me. But um, I have a right. lot of, like, tr- like triggery things with, like, ch- churches that have asked for oath, like, oathy type things. Like, demanding, uh, like, yeah, demanding... Yeah quote-unquote obedience or or loyalty or or whatever um and only then will you get the knowledge or the blessing Mm. or the grace or whatever and so i don't vibe with covens generally speaking because i don't want to live in that kind of hierarchical system so so our first degree and second degree you make pledges but not oaths (laughs) the third degrees make oaths but they write their oaths there you go. Which so, is, you know. Like Build-A-Bear. Yeah. <laughs> so do you. Yeah, but. Are you doing. Because oaths are a big deal. It's like a spell you're casting on yeah. yourself. Oh, yeah. So are you, do, are you doing the Zoom thing right now or do you only do locals? Well, for the last, basically for two years we did Zoom. Sure. And it, and, and then we, be, a couple of the covens, uh started doing the uh we're, we're, we're all going to be outdoors together at a distance okay this yule there's uh, a, a assembly-wide invitation went out to anybody that wants to show up we're doing a big bonfire nice. uh we're we, we're we've ordered the porta potties <laughs> uh we're we're setting up the pavilions and setting up plugging in the hot cider outside and we're going to do a a uh still fairly socially distant but we're gonna we this year felt like we had to get together for yeah. rule and you know we have the land to do it nice we're we're on uh, i and the three households and all three households are part of the tradition we're on 102 acres of uh, woods across from a state forest oh that's oh, amazing go. oh wow so, evo so we can have do does one have to live with live in your area then to be part no. of your coven well <gasps> yes and no yes, yes and, no. and no yeah here's, that makes here's sense. the yes and no makes part sense. community yeah. So you, you noticed I said that covens form and you know and and little sets of four and then another set of four and whatever. Yeah. It the covens have to be no more than like two three hours driving distance from each other or else they'll never actually get together. Yeah. Sure. So we're in Delaware, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and New Jersey, and that's as far as you know DC area as far as yeah. as we've gotten. But you know, 
So we have members that are out there in the world that have, you know, initiated and, and gone off and, and uh, because, you know, life takes you places. Yeah. And we broadly, strongly encourage them. If you want to start a coven wherever you are, go for it. You can teach them anything and everything. Make up a new name. It's not the assembly, but you're fully empowered to, to uh, replicate the pattern. That's amazing. We do have a lot because it's really hard. I mean, and I think we were trying to do the exact opposite of what most coven systems had done, where they basically each coven is it's like its own autonomous, completely separate from all other things, uh, even if you're in the same tradition kind of thing. Or you had the wonky, you know, uh, pedigree lineage thing. And not that there's not that there isn't value to the energy that is transmitted that way. However, we decided to say, no, you are initiate of your coven in the tradition, not an initiate of, of, of so-and-so who was initiated by so-and-so. And early on, we also made it policy that none of our clergy may, may use the title of Lord or Lady uh, as part of their magical name. That's great. Because that was also, I, I'm fine with that in SCA or at the Ren Fair, but the problem with using those terms elsewhere is that unless you have great control, it's a couple of steps between it being merely a title of uh, of respect and it being uh, ego fuel. And not to mention all the gender stuff that plays into that There's as well. There's a lot of connotations there. Well, yeah. and and I will say that uh, even at the dawn of time, uh, when we the first coven, Keepers of the Holy Chalice, for the first couple of years, when it was time to assign roles, it was, you know, slips of paper in a bowl and you pulled it out. So, you know, anybody could end up end up being the maiden for the ritual or, or the god or whatever, oh. and gender was irrelevant. It was whoever pulled the paper. Oh, that's so cool. And and uh, in in nowadays, so we, we've also added the title of priestex to the to the if people are non-binary if they want to, uh, and uh, whether if they identify if, if if being high priestess or high priest works for them, great. If not, high priestex works. Uh, we actually have uh, one non-binary member who is officially listed as the high priest of uh, or high priestex of of a coven, but they identify as the high priest for ritual purposes. Cool. But that's who you know. Yeah, Mortellus I mean, identifies as priestex. So. Yeah, yeah. So we have a the other thing, and then I'll shut up a little. I, I ramble. <laughs> Don't you dare! So, so built it built into the charter that we uh, did the hard way, which was like a long weekend of hammering it out together back in like ninety two ish, ninety three ish. Uh, we basically locked ourselves up in, a, in a, a rented hunting lodge from a Friday night through Sunday, and, and finished up writing the charter the old fashioned way, which meant that. The sucker was approved by consensus, <laughs> <laughs> which is there. Mind you, that was only 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 possible because we had had about a year and a half of meetings that we were voting on broad principles before we got there. Because consensus requires way more stuff. But I one of the that. things in the charter, I think I'm, I'm being visited by a dog. You are, and <gasps> I'm having a hard time not going puppy dog. Oh, there's your puppy dog. I don't know. If she, I don't know. If she, no, she doesn't want to come up. That's okay. She doesn't want to come up. No, there's <gasps> two people. puppy dogs. Yeah, there's now two puppy dogs visiting. <laughs> All four will eventually be here. Anyway, the chart. The charter requires that every seven years. Uh, we review the charter, the bylaws, our policies, and see if what we're doing matches what we think we should be doing. This sounds so cool. Okay, so for our listeners who might be in your area and, and looking for a coven, definitely look you up. But for those of us who aren't, you teach and you go yes, places and you've got... I do. Would you mind telling us what you have? For, first of all, before we head to this, thank you so much yeah, for this sharing has been everything great. you just shared. This is amazing beyond just amazing and uh before i 
I'm going to say that I, it, I, I sometimes go overboard because I have offered at many gatherings and conferences to talk about, hey, this is what we did to try to make it a little bit saner. And, and, and no, no event has ever taken me up on the <gasps> offer to talk about, you know, tradition or, or coven structuring stuff to make it less crazy. Really? You can go off really? about that kidding? here for as long as you want. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> That, that, I, now been... I want to throw an event so that you can come do that. There we go. <laughs> but, but, but I, 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 I've, I've been dropping this comment into a couple of podcasts I've done recently with the hope that some of the event organizers will go, oh, I don't know if anybody wants to hear that. But oh, yeah, I guess I, I think there is an audience. I think yes. there's an audience. And I could. Oh, you know. yeah. Oh, well, yeah. OK. So now now I have a. Because I was going to what you're doing next and um, yeah. say there's a conference coming up between the worlds. Is that your conference yes or just one? No. Oh, OK. It's a, jo- right. it's a joint event. It's a joint event. So Sacred Space Foundation has a conference every year, except obviously COVID happened. And, you know, sure. yeah. <laughs> between the worlds is a conference that we put on the first time we put it on. It was uh, 1996 and it happens irregularly. It could be every th- three years, oh. five years, seven years. It happens whenever the astrology is such that we feel it valuable to do an event and oh, focus wow. on working that. And which would have been at 2020. It was supposed to be April of 2020. And the, the focus of that one was to energize, protect and shield and ward people for the crap that was coming. But the epidemic was faster than, than, than our timing. But in any case, but here's the thing. We're close enough to sacred space that when our dates and their dates are too close, mm-hmm. we make it a joint conference so as to Got not it. compete with each other and draw the audience to, you know, choose one. But since we were already involved in 2020, we continue. So there's been, you know, joint board meetings, blah, blah, blah. So this one is a combined event that is from Sacred Space, which is an annual, and us, which is a whenever it happens, it happens. So that's in, at the end of January and not our favorite dates, but that was when the hotel said, contractually, we are, we're, we're calling it in. It's time, guys. We've postponed <laughs> you twice. <laughs> well, that's great. And I will... I'll definitely link all this in the show notes, and Corey will put it in the Instagram post when we put the tiles up for this yes. episode. Yeah. yeah. What What else do you have coming up, and where can we find you to to take classes? I'm going to be at Convocation, which okay. is in Dearborn, outside of Detroit. I'm supposedly, uh, I'm assuming all things are, are going to work out. Convocation, mm-hmm. Mystic South in Atlanta, which is another conference event. Uh, there's a new one in Florida, Summer Magic, that's uh, that's in the Orlando area that I'm teaching at as well. I'm also going to restart my, I was teaching Zoom classes, and then I took a break because I had some other works to do, and then I'm going to start teaching some more Zoom classes again. Okay. And then, if you know, honestly, if, if all goes well in the world, all right, before COVID happened, normal for me was 16 to 18 trips a, a year to go teach places. Whoa. Mm. Now, wow. some of those were camp out events or conferences and others were people that I knew is like, Hey, I want you to come and teach for a weekend on this topic. And I said, okay, you know, feed me, house me, get me there, figure out what, uh, what you, cause here's the other thing. I'm not poor. I'm not rich, but unfortunately it costs money to travel. Yes. Yes, it and, does. And, and, and most events aren't really good at, uh, at uh, fully compensating people that uh, teach. So if I'm doing something uh, at, a, at a private, like I like I did a, a weekend on divine embodiment, uh, aspecting, drawing down, whatnot, in the Portland area, and basically 20 random people got together and uh, I did it, did it out of their house, and that was cool. So I love to teach, and I hope that the world opens up and continues to get bet well enough 
so that the teaching thing can continue in a more uh, direct way. There are things you can do on Zoom, but there are some things that are, are preferably done in person. Oh, yeah. As an acting teacher, I can totally relate to that. I am sure you can. It's not yeah. the same. It, yeah. Some things, some things maybe. Like, I really loved what you presented at SomotaCon. And, oh, good. And, and I bet that something on Covens could be done over Zoom. I <clears throat> seriously... I want to create an event and have you come talk about that. Well, we'll definitely link all that. Let us know when you're doing Zoom classes for those of us stuck here in the Northwest and other places. And we've got some Australia listeners as well. Have you have so, you listened to, to my uh, seasonal holiday pathworkings? No. So I listened to you. I haven't told you about this yet. If You have to go to the website. So I listened to Yule this morning. Oh, cool. There are so many. That's my husband's voice. Uh, oh, I write them. It? Yeah, yeah, that's my husband's voice. He reads them, Aww. and I write them, he reads them, and then I do the uh, sound mixing for them. That's great. That I loved it. I absolutely loved but it. There's a whole we, set. Yeah, there are so many. And you also have some stuff on Spotify. Uh, if you go to the website, to Evo's website, and you go to classes that can be offered, it's 13 pages long, y'all. And I, like, read through that and went, okay, this is divinatory. This is this is school, and I need it, and I want all these classes. Please start a school so that I can attend your school and take <laughs> all these classes. I looked at that and just went, holy crap. It was amazing. Your list is amazing, Evo. Just keep learning from you. So any other books in the plan that you can talk about or should we just keep focusing? Not that you'll be ready for a new one in a while. Although I have to say I did just order something of perception. The one, ah, just had it Keys in to front perception. of me. Keys to perception. Even though I know I won't get to it until after I finish yeah. Four Elements and yeah. this is. But do you have some another book on the way? Or several, is that a, several, yeah, several, because you? I'm one of those terrible multitaskers. <laughs> uh, so I have a series of books that I can't talk about yet because I signed okay. one of the signed a thou shalt not talk about yeah. this non-disclosure thing. Thou NDA. Uh, yeah. But I've also got two on the side that I'm working on. One is my name for it because so far I have yet to get to choose my cover or title for my books oh. because that's the way the industry works. Uh, my working title for one of them is Level Up, and it's the opposite of Keys to Perception. So instead okay. of all the psychic sensitivity, perception, energy, it's it's a book about moving, shaping, raising, controlling, managing energy uh, to all the active or directive talents. So that's one. I'm also uh, slow-mo, but I'm working on a book uh, summarizing principles of uh, ritual design that are not tradition-specific. Awesome. For, for rituals, spell work, rites of passage, you names it. It's because but the approach is these are things that work and why they work as opposed to these are the following words you say, which oh. is it. Can I just tell you, that's one of the things I love about this book is that you talk about the structure and all of a sudden, all those, everyone, when you read this, if you're just going off stuff that you're getting on the internet or a couple books, how-to books here and there, you'll all of a sudden go, oh yeah, that's I wondered why we do that. I wondered how that worked. I the structures that you put into place, and also the way you connect them to like Wi-Fi, cellular. Just the way you make the structures make sense, and the glyphs and the symbols and the emblems make sense, and why they're connected and why they work. It's just it's a brilliant book, y'all. 
<laughs> go buy it. Go buy it. So. Thanks. <laughs> well, Evo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to be in class with you again. I'm actually thinking about maybe trying to get to, I just heard about it yesterday for the first time, Mystic South. Is that what it's called? Yeah, that one's fun. Yeah, so maybe I'll see you there. That would be amazing. And yeah. And thank you. Thank you. And thank you, puppies, for yeah. saying hi. Yeah. We thank love you. For, they, they, get bo- they get bored when I'm sitting here too long yeah. and ignoring them. That's fair. So, so it's a good sign to say, hey, we appreciate you and <laughs> cannot wait to have this out and to have our listeners oh. get to know you better. I can't wait well, to go you. look at the path working yeah. things on your uh, yeah. website. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, there's a path. The eight holidays, some moon stuff, and there's one that is uh, more like a ritual ritual that you listen to to, to clear the clutter out of your personal inner landscape. Oh, boy, do I need so that. that. That one was early on as, as during the, uh, oh, my God, COVID, people are going to need something to. <laughs> That's great. There, I loved it. I, I can't wait to get work my way through cool. all of them. Cool. Well, Evo, happy winter solstice, Yule, and all of that good stuff, and can't wait to see you in the future. Thank you. Until next time, be well, harm none, and don't forget, you are magic. Thank you so much for listening, and we'd like to ask you to rate and review us on Apple Podcast. And to press the little plus sign on Spotify to add us to your episodes. You can also find us on iHeartRadio and just about anywhere where you listen to podcasts. But if you want to reach out and talk to us, you can email us at bonfirebabblepodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can sign up for the newsletter or just ask us questions and hang out. You can catch us on Twitter at bonfirebabble or on Facebook at bonfirebabblepodcast or on Instagram at bonfirebabblepodcast, which is where we spend most of our time. Yes. We are also... Hooray! On TikTok now at Bonfire Babble Podcast. Thank you, Corey. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh, it's a little baby page right now, but we are recording things and putting them up. And our website will also start to have a lot more information, and that is bonfirebabble.com. You can also reach out to us in a more tangible way. We have a P.O. Box now, which is P.O. Box 16341. Seattle, Washington, 98116. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle. The Duwamish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. For more information, reach out to realrent.org.